Father, this morning we praise You for waking us up today, for giving us life, for giving us health, and for giving us the strength, Lord, to rise up and come to the meeting today. And Lord, You've told us through Your prophet that we should have a desire to be wherever prayer is being made, wherever the Word is being preached. And I pray this morning that it will be our heart's desire to be in Your presence. And that today, Lord, You would call us to a deeper consecration. You would call us to a deeper walk with the Savior. You would call us to a deeper experience in Your Spirit. And Lord, that the mysteries of the Word of God would be revealed to us today that we would be challenged, we would be convicted, we would be comforted and assured in the hope and the truth of Your Word today. The Word is Jesus. And today, O oh Lord, we would open our hearts to receive Him. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet name. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I remember a number of years ago, I was pastoring in Kansas. And I was an associate pastor. I was a Bible worker as well followed up on many interests and we saw many people come to Christ but it was a particular elderly man he was close to 80 years old and he we had an evangelistic meeting and he came to our meetings and he came night after night and he was being blessed and his heart was opening up every night he came his heart and his and his mind were more open to the truth and I visited him a few times and uh, we were sitting there talking together and and I had somebody with me, and I was visiting with him about the things he had learned in the meetings and asking him if he wanted to make a commitment to Jesus, if he wanted to give his life to Christ. And, and we just kept on and on. And finally, he looks at the person that had come to me, that come with me, and he said, I think he's trying to get me baptized. What do you think? And I was surprised. I'd never had anyone say that before. Usually the people are running from baptism oftentimes. And, and the person was shocked, and I was shocked. And I said, well... If you want to put it that way, I am. I'm going to give you an invitation. Would you like to be baptized and join God's church? And he says, you know, I think I would. He says, I was wondering when you were going to ask. <laughs> and so that next Sabbath, we cleared him and prepared him. And that next Sabbath, he was baptized. And about a week later, I got a phone call that he had been called into the doctor's office. See, prior to that time, he had had some testing done and they found some lumps in his, in his lungs and, and various places in his body. And that week he called me, so I went by there. And he told me, he said, I've got a fatal cancer. He says, I'm stage four. He says, they've told me I have two weeks to a month to die. And he says, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I came to know Christ before this time came. And he said, you see, I, I had gone in for those tests and then I got that flyer in the mail and he says, I recognized how frail my life was. I recognized how needful I was to have someone higher than myself watching over me. So I came to those meetings. And I praise God. Evangelism is important. Amen? Yes. Studying the Bible with people is important. Yes? Public evangelism is life or death. What do you think? For many people, it is their last hope to put their trust in God. It is their last chance to find Christ. And this man gave his life to Christ. And about two weeks later, indeed, he passed away. I visited him the day before he died. He was laying there on his bed. He was still able to speak. And I said, brother, what do you want me to say to people? What do you want me to tell people? When I, when I, when I invite people to follow Christ, uh, 
What do you want me to tell them? And he said, tell them never to wait. He said, I waited all my life. And he says, I'm so thankful that I found Christ. He says, but, he says, I'm so regretful that I didn't seek for him in my early 20s or my teens that I might use the strength of my youth to serve him, to be consecrated to him. He said, tell them not to be half-hearted Christians, but to be wholly consecrated to the Lord all the days of their life. That all they possess, that all they are, all their strength might be given over to Christ for His kingdom and His service to win souls for Him. He said, tell them that. And so today, many years later, I'm telling you about my good friend. And I know that I'll see him in the resurrection. But friends, he wants to see you in the resurrection. He wants to see those whom we will lead to Christ in the resurrection. Amen? He wants us to be wholehearted Christians. And I would tell you today that there is nothing more that Jesus wants in this life for you than to be a wholehearted, wholly committed, wholly consecrated son and daughter of the Almighty God. Today, friends, through the righteousness of Christ alone, we can be wholly consecrated. Amen? How many of you are thankful today for the righteousness of Jesus? The grace of God that does not simply redeem us and leave us in our sins, but redeems us and restores us into the image of God. Christ frees us from the penalty of our sins through justification. He frees us from the power of sin through sanctification. And one day very soon, He's going to free us from the presence of sin when He comes in the clouds of heaven and glorifies our bodies. Can you say amen today? Now yesterday we talked about one of the great dangers of, that is coming upon God's church. One of the great dangers that many Adventists are falling into today. We talked about cultural Adventism. How many of you were here for that? Or at least you heard it. And we talked about the pitfalls of that. Being uh, accustomed to a very nice culture, but not having transformed hearts by grace. Being a part of a comfortable culture, but not seeking self-denial to lead other souls to Jesus. By seeking to be restful and where we're at and not putting the kingdom of God first. Yes or no? Now we talked about that yesterday and today we're going to go to the other extent of that. We talked about comfort and religion. Now we're going to talk about something very different today. The title of the message this morning is The Adventist Atheist. Could it be possible that there are people who are not just enjoying a nice culture of veggie links and soy milk and all these different things, but could there be people who are within God's church also seeking the world? What do you think this morning? You suppose today that there could be atheists even in the ranks of God's people. What do you say this morning? I believe today that there is. We're going to go to the Bible and we're going to see a story of a man who I think fit many people today in our generation. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. The Bible talks about a parable of a man who I believe is very representative of so many in our church today. Luke chapter 12. The Bible talks about the parable of the rich fool. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 13. Luke 12, 13. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Luke 12 and verse 13. The Bible says, Then one from the crowd said to him, 
Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Obviously, there weren't just family problems going on in our generation. There were family problems going on in their generation, yes? And uh, you know, they often say that when people are dying on their deathbed, that the very last thing to go is the what? Is the hearing. And I can't tell you how many times I have stood beside the bedside of those who are taking their final breaths while the family is arguing over who's going to get what. How many of you have been in a place like that before? And right in the midst of the one who's dying, they are arguing about who's getting the house, who's getting the car, who's getting the money, etc., etc., etc. And what a shame that some parents have to lay on their deathbed when they think they can't hear them and they're hearing every word of them arguing and fighting over what they're going to get. What a shame. But this is exactly what's happening here. You know, it's very interesting how people change when there's money involved, isn't there? When someone dies and there's money to be divided, even if it's only a few hundred dollars, I've seen people tear each other apart for two or three hundred dollars. Brothers and sisters, how sad that is. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And Jesus said something in this next verse, very compelling, very relevant, very important for us in the year that we are in, 2017. And He said to them, take heed and beware of what, friends? Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he what? He possesses. One's life does not consist and the abundance or the lack, I would add, of what he possesses. What Jesus is trying to say here is that it doesn't really matter how much or how little you have, does it? What matters is not what you have, but what you give. Amen? But not matter what, of what, who you are, but who you become. Amen? Jesus says beware of covetousness because one's life does not consist and the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he tells a parable, which I think is one of the most powerful parables. I love all the parables. I think they're all one of the most powerful. Amen? They're all very powerful. How many of you agree with that today? Such precious truth we have in the pages of Scripture. Verse 16, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So Jesus tells the story of this man, and what's his occupation? He's a farmer. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Is it very easy to be, or is it it difficult to be corrupt as a farmer? I would say probably so, right? I mean, like, how how do you become corrupt as a farmer? I mean, you have to work hard, so lazy people need not apply, right? Uh, And there's really no one to rip off. Like, you're just out there planting seeds. You're watering them. You're cultivating them. They're growing. That's why we have the theme Grow Michigan. Amen? So this man is, is cultivating. He works hard, yes? So he's probably a pretty honest fellow. For, for the most part, he's not really like a businessman or, or a car salesman where he's trying to rip people off. He, he's just earning an honest living, correct? Probably going to the temple, paying his tithe, probably going to the temple for worship, just an ordinary fellow who works hard for a living, correct? 
I mean, you gather that from the page. Rightly, you could adjust that to the times in which we live in, and he's probably just a hard-working, honest man. Maybe he's a nurse. Maybe, you know, in modern-day times, he would be a farmer. Maybe he was just, you know, you know, just worked at a factory, whatever. Just an ordinary guy, kind of like you and kind of like me. Are you with me? I want to make the point that this guy would be someone just like you and me. Are you with me? Not any different, not something over here or over there, but he's just like you and just like me. Okay? And the Bible says that the ground of his field yielded how? Plentifully. So Ellen White actually says in the book Christ Object Lessons that God actually specifically and intentionally blessed this man's field. He actually blessed him for a purpose. And what do you suppose the purpose was? To just like say, hey, I got it good this year. But God actually blessed the man intentionally because he wanted to see what he would do with it. Now, typically, when we think about God testing us, does God test us? Yes, Satan tempts us. God tests us. The Bible says in James that God tempts no man, but He does test us, doesn't He? And He doesn't test us to look over our shoulder to see, are they going to do evil with that? I want to see if they're going to do what's bad. But God actually tests us because He wants all the universe to see that when we put our faith and trust in Him, we will choose to do good. God wants to test us so that His goodness may be seen through us for the rest of the universe, and especially Satan, who's always arguing against Him and accusing the brethren. Are you with me? And so God doesn't test us for evil, but He tests us for good. I mean, you can say amen. I'm really thankful. But often when we think of a test from God, we're thinking about what kind of a test? A trial, right? Like I'm going to lose my job, or I don't have enough money to pay the bills, or, or, or something that's on the negative end, right? Or I get sick. And we often think of that as the test. You know, we think of Job when, when we think of God testing people, right? We think about Job, all the trials that he went through, and we often associate testing with trial. But did you know that God will actually test you with blessings? Did you know that? Sometimes God will give you a little extra money. Sometimes some check will come from some place you didn't know, you know, overpaid your insurance or some weird thing like that. And sometimes, or some, you know, some long lost uncle dies and he leaves you $10,000 or whatever. I mean, we all like to see those things, don't we? And sometimes God actually blesses you. Maybe you, you get that extra overtime or whatever it is. And God wants to say, what are they going to do with the blessing that I've given to them? Because God delights in seeing His people do well. Amen? God delights in the joy of seeing His people bless others. Amen? And so sometimes God will do this. And He wants, to ask the, he wants the whole universe to see what is my servant A, B, or C going to do with this blessing. And that's exactly what He did with this man. He blessed him to see what's He going to do. What a shame. And what the man actually did. So he said, verse 18, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build what? Greater. And there I will store all my crops 
and all my goods. Now we're told in the passage and in the book Christ Object Lessons that this man actually had many servants. So I don't know if they were slaves or if they were hired servants, but he had many people working for him. Okay. Now, how many of you have a barn at your house? Several of you here. I have a barn and attached to the back of my barn we have a chicken coop because I want my kids to raise some animals with responsibility and sadly when we were at Indiana camp meeting last week five of those chickens got killed by a raccoon. So uh, my, my, one of my elders set up a trail cam and sure enough he was back the next night and we had put a lock on it though and we saw pictures of him pulling on the door but he wasn't getting in that night. Amen? And, uh, but I have a barn and it's a very simple barn. It's just metal siding with the framework. There's no insulation. It's just a dirt floor. There was no electricity. I just put electricity in it. But it's just a very simple structure, 20 feet by 30 feet. Now, my insurance company, that, which I have insurance through, says, home insurance, if a tornado comes or whatever and destroys that barn, they will give me a check for $30,000 to replace that barn. How many could say amen? You got that kind of a check. I don't want to lose my barn, but I could say amen to the check, right? So I get a check for $30,000. And now my point is this. Are barns cheap, yes or no? No. They're not a cheap structure to build. But I want, they're, they're, they're a very pricey thing. It's not just like building a little lean-to made out of scrap wood, you understand? This is a real barn. And notice what the man says. He says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. It didn't say barn. He said what? Barns. Plural. More than one barn. So he has multiple barns that he's going to tear down and build bigger barns. Now if you tear down a barn to build a bigger barn, what are you doing? You're investing a lot of what? Money and time and resources. So he has to pay for the materials. He has to pay the people to tear down the barn. He has to pay the people to rebuild the barn. And so I want you to think about this for just a minute. This man was actually spending large amounts of money just to be selfish. The man was spending tons of money just to be self-indulgent to himself just to keep that which God had blessed him with to bless others with so that he could hoard it to himself. Are you with me? Think about that for just a minute. That a person could actually be so de de degraded that they would spend money to be selfish. Now reflect upon your own life this morning. Have you ever done that? Yes. Have you ever spent money so that you could be more selfish? And so that you could hoard all that extra for yourself. And that's what he did. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have, have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be what? Be merry. This man had every intention of being wholly self-indulgent without a thought in the world of blessing others. Now I want you to listen to this. this. You'll see it on the screen there. Christ's Object Lessons, page 256. Notice this. By the parable of the foolish rich man, Christ showed the folly of those who make this world their all. 
This man had received everything from God. The sun had been permitted to shine upon his land, for its rays fall on the just and the unjust. The showers of heaven descend on the evil and on the good. The Lord had caused vegetation to flourish and the fields to bring forth abundantly. The rich man was in perplexity as to what he should do with his produce. Imagine, friends, that we are sometimes in perplexity because we have such an abundance. And there are people all around us who are in perplexity because they don't even know where their next meal is going to come from. They're in perplexity because of the stress and the chaos in their life. And some people are in perplexity because they have so much abundance that they don't know what to do with it. Huh, that's scary. His barns, those are, we call those first world problems. His barns were full to overflowing and he had no place to put the surplus of the harvest. Now notice this, friends. This is why I call this message the Adventist Atheist. He did not think of who? He did not think of God, whom all His mercies had come. He did not realize that God had made him a steward of His goods that He might help the needy. He had a blessed opportunity of being God's almoner. But the thought of ministering, but He thought only of ministering to His own comfort. Is it possible today that Seventh-day Adventists fall under the category of the Adventist atheist in which we have such an abundance maybe of physical means, maybe, uh, but we certainly all as Seventh-day Adventists, we sit on a treasure house of truth. Yes or no? Now I want you to notice something about this man. This man was not a pastor. He was not a shepherd of the people. He was a farmer, which means in our day and age, we call that a what? A layman. He was not a minister. And yet God still held him as accountable as the minister. Yes or no? So that means that this parable, we often, many of the, many of the lay people bless their hearts and we love the saints. I love the saints. But many lay people will point to the passages of Scripture that talk about pastors being faithful, pastors doing the work, Pastors being called by God. Pastors being held accountable in the judgment. But this passage is speaking about the lay people today. Amen? And God says He's calling all of us to be His stewards of our physical means and our spiritual means. Yes or no? We sit in a treasure house of truth. The conference of Michigan has made it about as easy as possible for you to give Bible studies. BibleStudyOffer.com Unlock Revelation, many other trainings, and all kinds of things. And friends, in the Adventist church, we have trainings coming out our ears. We have books about how to give Bible studies coming out of our eyeballs. And the, somebody said to me once, Pastor, you've done so much in evangelism, you should write a book on how to give Bible studies. And I said, why? I said, why? Because you go over to the ABC, and there's 47 books on how to give Bible studies. And no one reads them and no one takes them to heart. Why would I rat another to that? Why would I spend that time giving Bible studies and winning more souls to Christ? We are called to be stewards in our lives. We are not called like this man to have no thought of God or His kingdom. But we are called to be stewards 
spiritually and physically. We are called to carry this truth and we are called to carry this gospel in all the world, not because we are compelled by, by, by force, but be, because we are compelled by the love of Christ that has transformed our hearts. And the love of Christ that is dwelling in our hearts is greater than our fear of rejection for those who might say no. Our desire and our passion for them to be saved is greater than our fear of them slamming the door in our face. The love of Christ compels us to be ambassadors for Him. The love of Christ compels us to use our means, everything that we have, to invest in the gospel work of saving souls. God calls us true self-denial as not just giving that which is extra. Sometimes we say, well, I'm going to just satisfy all my needs, satisfy all my wants. I'm going to buy that second property up north. I'm going to buy that boat. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then when I've done all the things that I desire on my bucket list, then I'm going to give a real nice offering to the Lord Jesus. But the Bible says, seek ye what? First. It ought to be God's house. It ought to be God's work. It ought to be God's plans. It ought to be His kingdom that we are seeking first. And then if I have anything left over, I might do this and I might do that. I remember the story, I think it was, I didn't get a chance to look it up this morning, I think it was Jan Andrews that went over the first missionary to England. Am I correct about that? I think it was Jan Andrews. And he was there and he was doing the work and he was printing the publications. I read the story a while back. And he fell sick. And he was pale and thin. And they, they fetched the doctor. And when the doctor came in and he examined him, he came out and he said, this man is starving to death. Why was he starving to death? Because he was taking the money he should have been using to buy food to print more tracts and send them to people across England and across Europe. And friends, we can't even think about fasting for a day or even for a meal. We don't think of God like we should. Ellen White says that the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God is little thought of, He's little poured out. If we don't think about God, if we don't desire, if we don't thirst and hunger for Christ and His righteousness, God is not going to pour out His Spirit upon a people that would despise His gift. He won't do it. We have to be serious. I want to keep going here. It says, listen to this, the situation of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the suffering, the afflicted was brought to this rich man's attention. There were many places in which to bestow his goods. He could easily have relieved himself of a portion, like not even like, not even the sacrifice, but just a portion of his goods of his abundance, and many homes would have been freed from want, many who were hungry would have been fed, many naked clothed, many hearts made glad, many prayers for bread and clothing answered, and a melody of praise would have ascended to heaven. The Lord had heard the prayers of the needy, and of his goodness he had prepared for the poor. How did he prepare for the poor? Blessing By blessing that man. Are you with me? 
Abundant provision for the wants of many had been made and the blessings bestowed upon the rich man. But he closed his heart to the cry of the needy and said to his servants, This I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Eat, drink, and be merry. You have goods for a long time. But I want you to notice something right here, friends. Many people will say to you, yes or no, that I prayed to God for this, for this need that I have and God did not answer. How many of you have heard people say that? And these people were praying that God would bless them and that He would not even give them an abundance but just meet their needs. Just Lord, just let us not go hungry today. Help us, Lord. We're crying out to You. We're pleading with You. And God blessed this man so that he might answer their prayers. And so when this man became selfish and withheld the abundance of his, of, his, of his harvest and had not helped those needy people, those people sat at night hungry, hungry, and wondering why did God not answer my prayer? And so the impact of this man caused the faith of those people to falter. And so it is for us today. If we do not spread the truth of God's Word, the three angels' messages, the everlasting Gospel, there are people today who are praying and saying, Lord, send someone to, to, to tell me what is true. Send someone to give me Bible studies. And we instead decide that we're going to do our own pleasure and our own desires. And that person's prayer goes unheeded Who's accountable? And then God takes the blame because those people say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. And God is taking the blame for the things that He has laid upon us to bless others with. Understand this, friends. People, some people say, well, I can't handle that kind of pressure. You're, you're pressuring me. No, I'm not pressuring you. But we are responsible whether we think so or not, whether we want to be or not, we are accountable because we are God's people. And He has not called us to live for ourselves, but He's called for us to live for the blessings of others and to lead others to the truth and to meet others' needs. Are you with me, dear friends? Be ye not Adventist atheists today, but be ye true Israelites indeed, circumcised of the heart, claiming the righteousness of Christ and by good deeds, Showing the world that your heart belongs to Jesus. This man's aims, she continues, were no higher than those of the beasts that perish. He lived as if there were no God. No heaven, no future life, as if everything he possessed were his own, and he owed nothing to God or to man. The psalmist described this rich man when he wrote, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. This man lived as if there was no God. And let me tell you what, friends. You can go to church every Sabbath. You can pay your tithe faithfully. You can give a combined budget offering. You can be at prayer meeting. And you can do, be at Sabbath school. And you can do all these things and still live your life as if there is no God. Dear friends, be not deceived. God is calling His people to an entire consecration to Himself. Not to be half-hearted. Not to be even mostly hearted. Not even to be 99% wholehearted. 
but to be 150% surrendered to Christ. It's not that hard if we will stand up, claim the righteousness of Christ, and have the courage to bring the flesh by the grace of God into subjection. If we're willing to say no to the indulgence of His Word, if we're willing to understand, friends, that we are but pilgrims in this world, in this life, if we could understand that, that we are not here to build up kingdoms for ourselves. Abraham dwelled in tents. Jacob and Isaac dwelled in tents. And I'm not saying that we should all sell our houses now, but God's going to call us to do that one day. I'm not saying we should do it today, but we ought to be living simply. Because the love of Christ compels us. Because God loves you so much. He doesn't want you caught up in this world that will destroy you. Listen to this. We've got to keep moving. This man lived and planned for self. He sees the future is abundantly provided for. There is nothing for him now but to treasure and enjoy the fruits of his labors. He regards himself as favored above other men and takes credit to himself for his wise management. I have met Seventh-day Adventists some many who are very wealthy. And I'm not, I know most of us aren't wealthy here, and that's, I know that I'm not, and I know that you're, many of you are not. But compared to the rest of the world, we're very wealthy. They say if you, have, if you have food, clothing, and a dry place to sleep at night, you're among the top 10% of the most wealthy people in the world. But I've met many wealthy Adventists who are very very generous, very, very loving people, very kind, very willing to give to the Lord's work. And the beautiful thing about the Adventist message is, the Adventist church is, you know that when you give money to the church, especially in North America, it's not going in someone's pocket. It's going to the work, amen? And that's why we can preach so boldly about it. But I've met some of the Adventists who are wonderful people, always willing to give to the Lord's cause. And then I've met others who, like this man, think of themselves well and even better than others. They want to control church board meetings. They want to control business meetings. They want to con control the business and the conduct of the church because they think that they give a higher combined budget offering or a higher tithe, and they think that they're entitled to positions or whatever. Listen, friends, we are entitled to one thing in this life, and that is death and hell because we're all sinners. We are broken sinners. And it's only by the grace of God that we are alive. The kindness and the compassion and the love and the mercy of a Savior who cannot turn His back upon us no matter how degraded we get. He loves us. Aren't you thankful for the love of God today? We are debtors to the, to the Christ. We are debtors to the Gentiles. We are debtors to those that know not God. We are debtors to those who are in Babylon whom God has called us to call out. But friends and brothers and sisters, we've got to kick Babylon out of our own hearts before we're ready to call others out of Babylon. This man, he goes on, he regards himself as favored because of his wise management. He is honored by his fellow townsmen as a man of good judgment and a prosperous citizen. For men will praise thee when thou doest well for thyself. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. While the rich man is looking forward to years of enjoyment, the Lord is making far different plans. The message comes to this unfaithful steward. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Here is a demand that money cannot supply. 
the wealth he has treasured can purchase no reprieve. In one moment, that which he has toiled through his whole life to secure becomes worthless to him. Think about that for just a minute. Everything that you have can be stripped in a second by God or by other means. I've sat by people's bedsides. I've sat by people on the couch who had their whole livelihood stripped and torn away from them and they didn't know what they were going to do. Put not thy trust in the horses and the chariots of men. Put your trust in the Almighty God. Amen? For He alone can save you. Then whose those things shall be which thou hast provided? His broad fields and well-filled granaries pass from under His control. He heapeth up riches and knows not. Now listen to this, friends. The only thing that would be of value to Him now, in that moment, when God visited Him, He is not secured. In living for self, He has rejected that divine love a transforming, amazing love which would have flowed out in mercy to his fellow men. Thus, he rejected life. For God is love, and love is life. And let me add to that, love is selfless. Amen? It is self-giving, not self-serving. The man has chosen the earthly rather than the spiritual, and with the earthly he must pass away. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The picture is true for all time. You may plan for merely selfish good. You may gather together treasure. You may build mansions great and high as did the builders of ancient Babylon. But you cannot build a wall so high or a gate so strong as to shut out the messengers of doom. Belshazzar the king feasted at his palace, and he praised the god of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. But the hand of one invisible wrote upon his walls the words of doom and read the hostile armies. And the tread of the hostile armies was heard at his palace gates. And in that night, Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans was slain, and an alien monarch sat upon the throne. Last paragraph here. To live for self is to what, friends? Covetousness, to perish. Covetousness, the desire of benefit for self's sake, cuts the soul off from life. It is the spirit of Satan to get, to draw to self. It is the spirit of Christ to give, to sacrifice self for the good of others. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life. He has the Son as life. He who does not, does not have life. Take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. True character, true Christ-likeness, a revelation of Jesus is truly what God has called us to in this life. Amen? It is not about what we get or what we have but what we give away. And I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about yourselves. Because there is also a class of people who would say, I will dare not speak to someone about Christ, but I'll write a check. That is not acceptable either, friends. God is calling both of your means and your energies and your talents and your gifts and yourselves this morning. Now, I want to quickly, we have about 14 minutes left. You guys okay?
Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not asleep. I want to quickly, and we'll just take a moment to compare this to another character in the scripture. Are you ready? Go with me to with Genesis chapter 12. We're going to talk briefly about Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And I love this passage of Abraham. I've been doing a good bit of study on Abraham lately. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Genesis 12:1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Blessed. Now let me ask you for just a minute. Has God, did God call Abraham out of a place filled with idolatry, yes or no? Did he call him out to be separate, to be distinct, to be different, yes or no? Is he also calling today Seventh-day Adventists out to be distinct, separate, and peculiar? What do you say this morning? And God told Abraham, because I'm going to call you out, I'm going to build you a great nation. Has God, built, has God have a great church on the earth, yes or no? Amen. And he says, in you all the nations of the earth will be what? Will be blessed. Does God desire through the Adventist church, just like Israel of old, does he desire the whole earth to be blessed? Yes or no? He wants them to be blessed through the Adventist church. And he wants them to be blessed through your life today. And Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. People tell me today, I'm too old to do anything. I'm too old to give a Bible study. I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to go out knocking on doors. Abraham was 75 years old and he got up and moved his whole self and his whole family out of, where, out of Ur. Don't give me that excuse. Amen? Yeah. I'm smiling. Yeah. Don't give me that excuse. Now I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. This is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 125. There was given to Abraham the promise, especially dear to the people of age, the numerous prosperity and the nation, national greatness. I will make of thee a great nation, and you will be a blessing to all the people. And to this was added the assurance, the precious above every other, to the inheritor of faith, and of that of this line the Redeemer of the world should come. In thee all the families of the earth will be blessed. Yet as a first condition of fulfillment, there was to be a what, friends? A test of faith, a sacrifice was what? Demanded. Every time God seeks to bless you, there will be a test with it. Because you, God gives the gift, but we must exercise the faith. Yes? Amen. He goes on. By faith, Abraham, when he was his Hebrews, was called out to go to a place that he should receive the inheritance. He obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he would go. Abraham's unquestioning obedience is one of the most striking evidences of faith to be found in all the Bible. To him, faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Relying upon the divine promise, without the least outward assurance of his fulfillment, he abandoned home and kindred and native land and went forth. He knew not whither to follow the Lord wherever he should lead. 
By faith he came, became a sojourner in the land of promise as a land not his own, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with the same promise. So Abraham, friends, he left his family, he left his house, he left probably whatever job he had, he left everything to follow the divine promise of God. And all he had, he had, it says, zero evidence. The Bible says in Hebrews, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what God is telling us through that verse is, we don't have to have blind faith. Because God gives us substance and he gives us evidence upon which to build our faith. Yes or no? But Abraham had no substance. He had no evidence. All he had was a word from God. A promise. And Abraham picked up all and he left. And friends, we can't even pick up a Bible study when we have all the evidence around us that God is going to help us. Praise God for those. How many of you are given Bible studies today? Praise God for those that are. Could you give another one? Those of you who are not giving one, could you give one? Do you have enough evidence, yes or no? Watch this. It was no light test brought upon Abraham, no small sacrifice that was required of him. There was strong ties to bind him to his country, his kindred, his home. But he did not hesitate to obey the call. He had no question to ask concerning the land of promise, whether the soil was fertile and whether the climate was healthful, whether the country afforded agreeable surroundings, and would afford opportunities for amassing wealth. He didn't ask any of those questions. He didn't know any of those things. But he went anyway. God had spoken, and his servant must obey. The happiest place on earth for him was the place where God wanted him to be. Now, there's the paragraph, dear friends, that I want to read to you, and it's going to challenge you, and then we're going to make an appeal this morning. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. Who was many? Who's that? Who are those people? That's us. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but He calls them by the teaching of His Word, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and the events of providence. They may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, to leave congenial and profitable associations, and separate from kindred, to enter upon what appears to be a, the only path, only a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. You see, friends, many of us today say, well, God wouldn't call me to something so hard. God wouldn't expect me to do something so difficult. God wouldn't expect me to give this up. And friends, according to the Scripture and according to the spirit of prophecy, yes, He would because he treats this generation no different than every generation before. Self-sacrifice, trials, difficulties will be in our way, but all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But oh, he makes the promise, whatever your trial, my grace is sufficient for thee. Whatever your difficulty, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Wherever you are, what situation you find yourself, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He makes great and precious promises to us today, dear friends. What do you say this morning? Whatever trial, and when you go through that trial and you see the grace of God, you see the promises of God become alive more than just ink on paper, it thrills the soul to see God working miracles in your life to His glory, and to His power, and to His strength. Amen? What do you say, church? Amen. Amen. Let's go back here. It says, they would call them to lead these lives of 
self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. God has a work for you to do, but a life of ease and the influence of friends and kindred would hinder the development of the traits essential for its accomplishment. I think that this is the last slide. He calls them away from human influences and aid and leads them to feel the need of his help to depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to them. How many of you want Jesus to be revealed to you in a deeper way? Who is ready at the call of providence to renounce cherished plans and familiar associations? Who will accept new duties and enter onto untried fields, doing God's work with firm and willing heart, for Christ's sake, counting his losses gain? Who will do as this, uh, who will do this, has the, whoever will do this has a faith of Abraham and will share with him that far and more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, which the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. How many of you can say hallelujah? If you want to participate in the glory of Christ, you must participate in his sufferings. Scripture is clear today, but the sufferings aren't all bad because you have the joy of fellowship with Christ himself. You walk the path that he walked. The Holy Spirit draws close to those who are willing to lay down all for Christ. The God the Father is there bowing his ear, bowing his face in great joy. Not as we suffer. God is not interested in us suffering, but he's interested in his gospel work to go forward. And he's interested in our characters becoming like Jesus. Because he loves us. And he wants us to not just be in heaven but he wants us to look and shine like Jesus. The question was asked in the paragraph, who is willing to make such a sacrifice? Who is willing to step forward, not in courage of their own, but in courage of Christ? Who's willing to step forward, not in their own self-righteousness, but in the righteousness of a slain Savior for them. Who's willing to not just hear the cries of those who are lost, but who's willing to answer those cries today? Who's willing to hear the prayers, not willing to just hear the prayers of those who are in need, but who are those among you today who are willing, by the grace of God, to be the answer to those prayers? Who's willing to give of your means to further the gospel work? Who's willing to dip, dig deep in the pockets to sacrifice all that is unnecessary and at times some that is necessary to ensure that God's work would move forward? Who among us today is willing to step forward in, in, despite the fear of rejection and trust the promise of God that though I might be rejected, there will be those who will say yes? Who among you are ready and willing to answer the call of God. The call that God has upon your life. You see, you might have a profession. You might be some kind of doctor or lawyer or a farmer or whatever. But everyone's calling in life. Those who claim the faith of Christ. Those who were true Israelites. They recognize and understand that they are part of something bigger than themselves. And they understand the call of God upon their souls to do His work. They understand it. And they're willing to sacrifice all for it. Who among you today 
is willing to answer that call. I'm going to make a special appeal this morning. There may be somebody today who says, Lord Jesus, I need repentance in my life. I have not served You wholeheartedly. I have not served You wholly with all that I am. I have not been completely consecrated to You. But today, Lord, in the means of my finances, in the means of my time, in the means of my resources, my talents, Lord, I'm answering that call today. It's a call of faith. You're not assured what's going to happen. You're not assured of comfort or pleasure. You're not assured of those things. It's not going to be easy. I can absolutely guarantee you it's not going to be easy. But all things are possible through Jesus. We can do all things through Him which strengthens us. What do you say? And Jesus is inviting you today to enter into the joy of His fellowship like never before. To enter into the work of God. The joy of soul winning. The joy of being sacrificing, self-sacrificing, self-denying workers for the living Christ. If you'd like to answer that call this morning, I'm going to invite you to just slip out of your seat. Come right down here to the front. And we're going to have a special prayer for you. I don't know who you are, but right now, in this moment, I'm inviting you to come and ask and say, yes, Jesus, I answer the call. If you're not ready for that, if you're not ready for that, no one's putting pressure on you. But if Christ is speaking to your heart this morning, if He's convicting you, then would you come just now? And you say, Lord, today as I'm answering this call, things in my life must change. And I'm giving, you're giving God permission to rearrange the things in your life today. You're giving God permission to be in charge of your life and in charge of your house, your job, your bank accounts, your time. You're giving God permission to do whatever He wants to do in your life today. And let me tell you what, friends, when you make that decision and you stick to that commitment by His grace, you will be one of the happiest people on the face of the earth. Amen? Because there's no greater happiness than being in the center of God's will. Praise God today for those decisions. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we earnestly lift ourselves up to You. We don't know what else to do. There's nothing in this life, Lord, that is worth hanging on to, to miss out on the joy of fellowship with You in this life and eternal fellowship with You in the next. And today, Father, we would give ourselves completely to You. We would not hold anything back. We would not refrain, Lord, because the love of Christ compels us. He draws us to be ambassadors for You. He draws us to be one with You. And Father, we pray that in our hearts we would have the privilege of being co-laborers with You and Your vineyard. And so, Father, we pray today that our hearts would not falter, that we would not shrink back, that we would not be in fear, but we would move forward in faith, the faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac, the faith of Jacob, and the faith, O Lord, of Jesus, Your Son. Bless us this day, we pray. And may the Spirit of God fall upon our hearts, upon our lips, upon our minds, and upon our lives today as You empower us to go forward with You. We ask in Jesus' name, let the people say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.